Hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. So it's been a while since we last recorded, both in person and even over the internet as we're doing now, which is not usually our custom. Is not our custom. It was our, our last episode was with Seamus, right? I believe our last episode was with Seamus. Maybe we had one after that. Uh, I don't feel like clicking mm-hmm. around and checking right now. All right. Yeah, but this is definitely not our normal thing, being... Yes, in separate places. In separate places with distance between us. So, I don't know about you, like, two things, a couple things happened with me, I guess. Um, One of which being that I kind of, uh, sorry, I'm messing with stuff. Um, I got some kind of sickness. And I'm not sure it was an actual sickness. I, do not make that reference. I'm not sure if it was an... It's a weird mixed bag. Like, I'm not sure it was an actual sickness sickness. But something got me, like, feeling really out of sorts. I've had a couple days where I think it's just allergies. But it's, like, death allergies from the pits of hell, like, or something, like... You know, there's, like, the locust from the pit in Revelation. There's, like, the pollen from the pit or something like that that just really messed me up. See, that's that's where it started. It started with I suddenly got rashes along my arms, like, the backs of my legs. Anything that could be exposed. And it started, like, if there was an event that kicked it off, it was me sitting outside with my brother in our, like, outdoor chairs and just dandelion, dandelion flying all over the, all over the place in the wind, just everywhere. And then, like, the next day, it felt like, like, just rashes that I'd never had, like, really itchy, um, just about anywhere that was exposed without a t-shirt or shorts on at that point, particularly where, where I was touching the chair. And, like, it's gone away. I haven't gotten it back. So, I don't know if it was, like, my first time reacting to an allergy I didn't know I had or something else. But then that felt like a precursor to something where I'm still uncertain. Like, it's 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 other health stuff that could be more long-term. And, therefore, I don't want to talk too deeply about it at the moment. Um, especially on podcasts. But, who knows? Like, but... Sure. I'm technically <laughs> well. I'm, I'm definitely feeling operable, vibable, and so I also did start a new jo- uh, a new job, a new contract. Um, so like all kinds of stuff was going on, balls in the air that made it difficult on my end for us to meet up for a recording. Now on your end, that was also true. Yes, on my end, I have uh, the big the big thing right now is baseball, and I have three children all playing baseball and so my evenings are pretty hectic right now because they each typically play two games a week so you can do the math that's six baseball games a week sometimes that means um well at the very least they usually off they have three on saturday and then there's one you know during the week each but like Sometimes there's two in one night. Sometimes there's one three night. Hmm. Uh, sometimes there's a week where there was a makeup game, and so there's a baseball game four nights in a row, and then three on Saturday. So yeah, I'm I'm a little bit busy right now, and also maybe slightly regretting signing up all three for baseball in the same season. 
Yeah, it sounds like it could have been a uh, a, a big mistake, but <laughs> all right, and that's actually one of the reasons. Like, I'm I'm normally used to having background noise, but like when it came to editing with Seamus and stuff, it's a little different when you can hear someone's like chair or you can hear clinking of glasses, but. Um, with background music this episode, I think I'll leave some of that just slide. Like, as long as there's nothing egregious. Egregious. So, um, yeah, let's talk then about what we've been playing the last month, which that's actually another unfortunate thing on my end, because I was playing for a while there a lot of Monster Hunter Rise. I was really enjoying it. I was streaming it uh, a few times with my buddies, uh, Zach, I think, Joey... Um, buddy Greg joined in, so we we were doing like regular streams, planning to get maybe not Zach. Who was the? Th oh, Mike, Mike, Mike was partaking. Um, so lots of Monster Hunter Rise until I noticed one day the fan in my Nintendo Switch is just cranking out max speed. Like I like normally you turn on the Switch and you don't even hear it, right? Like, yeah, you don't even hear yours. Then I started to notice, and I was playing in handheld mode once in a while. It had like it sounded like back in the late '90s, early aughts, when you got that little tiny handheld fan that never did anything, but people had anyway. Yeah. That like plasticky sort of blade noise that it made. It was starting to sound a little bit like that, like a little bit, but not like noticeable, especially when you're sitting down on the couch and playing it. But. And that's the thing, like, Monster Hunter Rise, Mario Kart, even one time before I loaded any game up, it was just sitting there on the operating system, it just cranked, man. It just went real high speed and everything, and it's like, it's got me a little worried, you know? Because I, I tried to open the back of the system up, I got the appropriate screws, I was careful, and some of the screws are already just stripped. Like, there is no getting them out of there. Um... So yeah. I'm kind of, it's partially left me disappointed. Like the Nintendo Switch is a system that I love, right? Because it's a Nintendo system. Of course I love it. But right. coming from, you know, a background where I remember being a kid, dropping a Game, po Game Boy on concrete so many times in childhood on the way home from school. And now I have a system that as I'm unscrewing parts of it, not only are some of the screws already stripped, but then I'm like, seeing parts of the shell are already broken that I didn't like that I've never dropped this thing I've never dropped my switch I've never done anything that could have harmed it the closest I have is a sort of a tablet holder that you attach to your bedpost kind of a deal and I'm get maybe maybe the pressure of that being clasped on the sides of it could have applied some kind of pressure that cracked it but it's like if that's how fragile this thing is, it's like, this is, this is maybe the most, and this, this, this accompanies like where I haven't gotten Joy-Con drift, but I, I talk to people that still get brand new Joy-Cons and they still experience stick drift. Um, when the system launched, the dock was designed in such a way that a lot of people, their screens got scuffed just putting the system into the dock. Yeah. I was fortunate not to have that, but it's like, this thing has had so many issues that I'm actually really disappointed in the hardware quality of this otherwise like amazing device. Because when you think about how thin this is, how much of it is dedicated to a screen, like, and what some of these games look like, 
what Monster Hunter Rise looks like. What some of these games are able to pull off on this little system. It's amazing. But it's like, man, I can't even find out if all my fan needs is, like, compressed air. Like, I ran compressed air in my PS4. Like, I, I talked about this a lot on the Discord. I ran compressed air on my PS4. And that fan went from a jet engine to... I mean, it's still audible, but it's not like... Bwah! Like, it's not yeah, that bad yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, I got you. So... See uh, it's 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 one of these things that it's like I was really enjoying Monster Hunter Rise and now I'm afraid to turn on my Nintendo Switch and I'm kind of really hoping the rumors of a Switch Pro are true so that I can just you know wait and look forward to upgrading the system. Yeah, that's that does take. Now, granted, your Switch might have a few more hours on it than mine, but my experience has been. Again, uh, the aforementioned three children who <laughs> take it all over the house, have dropped it down the stairs, which broke a Joy-Con, but didn't cause any actual issues with the system. Um, you know, they've brought it outside for things like, you know, um, when, say, the other two brothers have a baseball game and the third one doesn't, we bring the Switch along to... You know, so he doesn't just have to sit there for three hours um, watching baseball that, you know, the adults can barely get through. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, so and we haven't had any problems other than Joy-Con drift, which I think we have six, um, you know, official Nintendo Joy-Cons. And five of them have experienced Joy-Con drift. Goodness gracious! No, you're you're not saying six pairs. You are saying six total Joy-Cons. Six total. Yeah, so three pairs for six total ones, and we've experienced Joy-Con drift on five, five of, of six. the six, you know, individual Joy-Cons. Yeah. Goodness gracious! Now you're supposed to be able to do. Like send that in to get fixed for free, but I didn't even know you could yeah. have it with the uh, the the right stick either. I like normally it's only the le the left stick people talk about. Yeah, no, we've had maybe I'm exaggerating, but it's it feels like every single like when we play Mario Party or something like that, it feels like every single one of them, except for the green one, has drift. Interesting. No, this is but, this this is the funny thing though, because as you say, like your switch has stood up to major punishment, and yet I'm sitting here like, why is my fan so loud sometimes? Like it gets worrisome. Like I don't know what I'm going to yeah. do. Like it, it's funny because of also you can tell the fan is really really small. Mm. That, and that's the thing. Maybe it's I didn't not even, even know the there fan. was a fan. I didn't even know there was a fan in that. T fan. There you go. Maybe it was like. It was like, you know, iPads don't have fans in them. So I figured it was it was just, you know, on that level or something. So Well there you go. Yeah. You learned something new tonight. It does have a fan and it's very small, but maybe maybe it's not even the fan. That's the thing. That's another reason I wanted to pop open the back. Like if the fan doesn't need to be replaced and something else is causing the system to overheat, well what is it? Like and that's the thing. Like I've never I've had these questions for other systems. Like, I had the Xbox 360 that got the red ring of death and everything. My PS3 refuses to, tur refuses to turn on now. And yeah. 
I only had the one Red Ring of Death, but I did also upgrade from the replacement to that one to one of the like late, late models of 360 for preservation I, purposes. Because um, I want to make sure I, I can always play Project Sylphid. Right. So I have had, I don't know what the final count is. I know with Sony, I went through like three, at least three PS3 replacements with Microsoft. Um, there were at least two Red Ring of Death Xboxes. Um, yeah, I, I did not have good luck with that generation. Ooh, so but speaking of the Switch, so this is this is my you. This is your your technical difficulty has been your Switch uh, not cooperating. Here is my rant, anger, technical issue that I've been having. Oh boy. So, um, so those of you who are on the Discord or listen to the podcast a lot know that a big part of my gaming is remote using the remote play feature. Uh, so the PS Vita was huge for that. I played so much on the PS Vita, whether it was you know, games that were a little bit less reflex intensive, didn't require extensive use of all the buttons. A lot, you know, a lot of RPGs. I played a lot of Dragon Quest on there when I was playing um, Dragon Quest Eleven, or things like just doing bounties and patrols in Destiny, or you know, just you know, in multiplayer sessions. Kind of. Anyway, so my most recent thing has been playing with an iPad Mini which can connect to either the Xbox One or the PS4 for remote play functionality. So to start, I got this little clip thing that clips into a PS4 controller, which can work for either, because they, they you know map the buttons or whatever. So I broke two of those because it was so flimsy and it just couldn't hold up to being held, like the, the weight of it, the weight of the iPad being on the clamp which was all on the controller, and it was a really bad design. So I found these, you know, multiple Chinese company make these, make, companies make these great-looking, great-feeling grip systems for iPads, or some of them are for Android and other things, that look basically like it turns your iPad into a Switch. And it looks amazing, and they feel great. But guess what? Guess what, Chris? Joy, joystick drift. No. All of these controllers are designed to only work with their apps. Oh, you know what? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. So it's like this. Now, the one of them could theoretically work with other apps, but it's not actually a it's not an actual. It's like spoofing the the adaptive touch or something so that you're like you're like simulating touches on the screen so you, what you're supposed to do is calibrate it with a with like a, a you know like an fps like fortnite or something on your ipad yeah so that then you can use controller sticks instead of using touch controls on your screen but it's totally garbage but yeah they're just designed to work with like these apps that and it's like why can't you just make a bluetooth controller that looks like this and the only thing that comes close is razor makes something it's a hundred dollars oh and it's and it's apparently not very well built 
and it's only for iPhones, not for iPads. Now, is this and, is this a result of? Because I forget. I know you. I believe you explained it to me before. Did Sony kill Remote Play or something like that, or is there some reason that? No, it's no, Sony. I, my Vita is acting up, and it's mm. just a matter of if I have the option to play on a slightly larger screen with all of my controller buttons. So the Vita doesn't have the sticks don't depress. Yeah. So some games have a solution for that that works. Some games don't. Yeah, we, we, we've had some of these issues uh, when you were playing Destiny because certain commands are tied to like I can't the back touch, touch thing or whatever, yeah. Yeah, like I can't really emote. So you'd be like, oh, do an emote if you want to or something. It doesn't work. And then, yeah, it's um, like, oh, oh, you can't even do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the other issue being the way that R1, like the R1, R2, L1, L2 buttons map. So like Destiny did a really good job where it's, since the Vita only has the two shoulder buttons, an L button and an R button, Destiny mapped R2 and L2 to your shoulder buttons and then made your screens L1 and R1. So, like, your grenade and melee abilities were tap on the screen. And that was actually really good and intuitive, but a lot of games don't bother remapping anything and just try to make you use the back touchpad as L2 and R2. And like as an example, I want to say Dragon Age 3 was one I tried to play, but the like the combat controls relied so heavily on L2 and R2, it was like impossible to actually like I think you would hold R2 to bring up your menu and then press a face button to to perform an action for combat. And it was like so inconsistent and impossible. So anyway, so having an actual controller is, is preferable, even if I have a fully functional Vita. But it seems like the universe is determined to stop me from actually doing this. <laughs> well, maybe so you'll... That, uh, actually, I was going to say, maybe you'll just have the player switch more. But having been over your house, when you are using... The remote play is usually when one of the kids is playing on the Switch at the same time. So, yes, often. Yes, that's that's the case. But I do need to play on my Switch more. I have a, a short backlog of games. I need to finish Breath of the Wild. Um, I need to play Hades. What else do I need to play on there? It's funny because I Monster Hunter not... Rise. I did want to play Monster Hunter Rise. It'll be curious to see because, like, at this point, I've started to use this because what. Because it's like in some ways I understand how your like your your frustrations from your first time playing, but I do think at the same time, it was the wrong weapon, the wrong time, the wrong experience level. Because after getting a feel for the game, like in multiplayer, I started using the uh, the hunting horn, which makes you the most amazing bard in video games, and it is definitely a slower weapon, and it's definitely one of those like I'm going to use this weapon in multiplayer only. Because I can't imagine being this slow when I'm playing solo and hunting down monsters solo. Um, so it's just, it's really interesting because there's also, and we'll get into it, I think, another time. Because during our little break of podcasts, we played a lot of stuff back and forth. And one of those was diving a little bit back into Destiny to try and figure out, okay, 
why does the core loop for Monster Hunter feel so good to me? Well, in my perspective, it feels like Monster Hunter Rise and Monster Hunter in general has a more focused loop. And that allows it to feel better for the amount of time invested in it versus going back to Destiny. There's, I think a over-reliance on the quality of the mechanics to skate through to to just they're giving you a lot of quote-unquote things to do and sometimes those things are very good and fun to do but i feel like the vast majority of stuff they're trying to do to kind of occupy time because they are deathly and you you've agreed with this they are deathly afraid of people getting bored is most of the contents just it's only enjoyable to the fact that the core mechanics are as good as they are and in any yeah. other game it wouldn't work nearly so well which we might get uh, to in a bit and i think I, I i agree a lot with that assessment so where you say time though so my experience with monster hunter world was um it is the, less focused the thing, the thing that made me like rage quit was not rage but like basically be like you know forget this game i'm done <laughs> um well there were i think there were two experiences one was i was only a few missions in and i basically spent an hour eventually failed and basically got nothing for it and it was just like you know feels bad man dot jiff it's like a really um, bad first experience with dark souls like i had and i stopped playing for a long time yeah where it was just like even with was well, here's the thing like i mean i guess you could compare it with dark souls not in the actual mechanics or anything i just mean well, in that, like, like in the, you have in that the really bad like, experience that leaves you with such a bad taste you don't want to go back Right, but I think what that's the thing is with with Destiny and time, like, that happens in Destiny, that only happens in high-level content. Like which we've happened, run into a lot, yeah. Which we've run into before, but so where the issue, where I run into the issue with Monster Hunter is, like, you know, I've got an hour for, you know, some kind of game whenever, when I'm, you know kids are i'm done work the kids are in bed or whatever um sometimes in destiny the feeling of accomplishment is somewhat false like okay like i ran around a patrol zone did some public events completed some bounties and generated 50 orbs of power that i needed for this quest or something so i got to the next quest step like in some ways that's like a that's like a false sense of accomplishment I mean, as all video games are somewhat false sense of accomplishment, but say compared to, you know, defeating a monster and what you did that night progress. had no challenge. It was just right, or even just I mean, so as Destiny is an example, even just playing any game for now, playing Yakuza like a dragon and running around town fighting random dudes and you know, leveling up my business or playing 
you know, uh, any anything you can throw at it. It felt like one of the most pointless. I could have been playing Doom for an hour and you know, ripping things to shreds or whatever else. You know, where it just it felt like whatever rewards I got in terms of like thing, whatever I was able to carry over, sort of. It felt so minuscule and tiny that I don't know. So it's it's weird. I think it was the kind of experience that would have been fine for me 12 hours into the game or something, but it wasn't fine for me three hours into it. I could see that. And I will say, too... Because it wasn't just... I think when you say, oh, it was a hammer, it was your kit, it was your other stuff, but, like, it was a cascading row of things that just really made it unfun for me to be spending my time on. That's the funny thing, too, about it, because Monster Hunter World, having played several hours of World but never beaten it, but now having also put... I th- honestly, I probably put more hours into Rise now than I did into World. And one of the reasons because Rise is a lot more expecting you to know what you're doing, and therefore it's a lot more like... We have like these brief like get-up-and-get-started missions, but then we're just throwing you into deep end of the pool. Here, start start and it's got this gradual like here we're building up your armor we're building up your gear we're building up your loot so you can eventually handle the post game because it's like all these other games like post game content the really hard bosses that you really need to care about your equipment for um but monster hunter world structures it's is structured into a campaign and therefore each as the campaign goes on it's much more about Let's introduce you to the idea of different zones. Let's introduce the different monsters and cutscenes. And so it's a lot closer to being a tutorial for the campaign. And I think it was okay at that in parts. And again, like you're 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 again like three hours into the game. You you you've barely gotten through some of the earlier tutorial stuff, and it's also loaded with cutscenes. And so, yeah, like that failure might have meant less in Rise than it would that that it means in World because Rise, like, they have some cutscenes early on, but it's basically, hey, walk around town, get to get to know people, kill little enemies, and then now you're just off to the races. Just keep fighting bigger, big, big, big monsters. Just keep fighting them. Um, yeah. No real story to be had. Yeah, so, no, I understand, kind of, but I I will see. Uh, maybe I, I, I'm planning on picking up Rise, and we'll see if I can just come into it with a clean slate and not a bad taste in my mouth. I was The other experience was, I feel like we tried to play, after that happened, we tried to play multiplayer one time, and it was like we couldn't actually get grouped up, and we just gave up after, like, 15 minutes of trying yeah or something like that and that was kind of just like oh well this is not you know you get used to you get spoiled by the modern gaming experience of just destiny particularly oh hey party up group up go yeah and and um, rise is a little bit better about that but ultimately it's still not as because world's biggest issue is that it only had the campaign missions and then the post-game content 
Rise has, here are your single player missions, here are your multiplayer accessible missions that can still be completed single player. So okay. you can just get people going at any time, but with World, it's based around when is the last cutscene to this mission. And sometimes the last cutscene is after you've defeated the monster, after you've hunted the monster, captured the monster. So some missions you can't actually group up. And or at least on your first time through, only on a repeat playthrough kind of a thing. And yeah. that was the big mistake. And I, I, I wish they would just let you, because they already have the mechanics. They balance it so that if you got two players, enemies like, you know, increase to two player difficulty, I guess you could call it. If you have three or four players, they increase to four player difficulty. So if you want like the hardest challenge, go in with three players and the game assumes you got four. So <laughs> that's uh yeah. but that's the thing, it's already got that balancing act in place. So why not just allow people to group up at any time and handle any mission? And again, like this is also just have the cutscenes pretend there's only one person if you need to. Uh Outriders yeah. was doing this when we were playing with Nolan. Uh, Halo's been doing that since Halo Haloed. For 20 years. Yeah, it's like, the, you don't need to pretend everyone's in the cutscene. You can just pretend your character's the one in the cutscene, and there you go. Um, but yeah. for some reason, and maybe it's because of cultural difference, because we're talking about a game that started on the PS2, and so... And was a mobile only, well, I don't want to say mobile only, but portable only game for a while there. So, yeah, maybe, no, there's some... yeah, yeah, maybe there's just their own reasons for, for doing it the way that they are. But I do hope that eventually they'll just adopt the, the Destiny model, which is as soon as you boot into the game, you can just group up with friends and do whatever. Yeah, you gotta play like the introductory mission solo and then oh gosh boom. yeah that's it um yeah i i get that so anyway so on, on things that i have played that i want to call out specifically so after finally beating immortals phoenix rising um which was like my play when the kids are hanging out kind of game and i have a chance to play something even though i in hindsight, some of the dialogue from Zeus in particular was not particularly kid-friendly. Um, there was a whole... I mean, there were a couple bits. Some of it was like sort of what you might, might call DreamWorks level where it was... Pinocchio wearing a thong in Shrek 2 or... <laughs> well, like, like, there's this whole bit... Um, the story of the, you know, the birth of Aphrodite or something like that. Yeah. Where, like, yeah, that, that was one of the bits that, that stuck out to me as I'm doing it well. Where they, like, they tell you the, like, storybook version. And then they, the Disney and then version. They, the Disney version sort of thing. Oh, like, this pearl rolled into the sea and the foam, it, from the foam it created, Aphrodite emerged. Um... And then, like, you hear Prometheus whispering to Zeus, like, the real story. And it's like, Psh. and then he cut off his, Psh. and he threw it in the ocean, and Psh. and it came out. And then you're like, wait, wait a second. Like, and, you know, like, you kind of 
the adults in the room get what is what's going is, on yeah what's going on but the kids are just are confused um then there's like there's this whole bit about confusingly sexy centaurs later in the game um and like i don't know um but anyway after finishing that so i started at their request because they just happened to see the icon from when it was free on ps plus concrete genie have you played any concrete genie i have not it was one of those games i was curious about i was curious about it but i never got to play it um i guess the more that they promoted it the less interested i became i really it's exactly my sort of of game it's like um i'm trying to think of like in the sort of journey unfinished swan maybe like not it's a little bit more more like structure than maybe the other orthodox like yeah like it's very it's this just it's short i haven't finished it yet but i i just looked it up and it's very short um very like artsy so yeah so basically if you if you've seen the trailers basically you're a a i guess maybe like a young teenager uh the town that you grew up in used to be this beautiful fishing town now the town sucks everybody who lives in the town sucks um you're an artist and they beat you up and rip up your art book and then stick you in a in a tram to this abandoned supposedly haunted lighthouse you reach the lighthouse and then your pictures somehow ended up there that they're from the, the art book they screwed up and they start coming to life and so the basic premise of the game is you have to paint over the darkness that's enveloped this town and then you use the genies which are the drawings you created to accomplish basic tasks so the genies will ask you to do things like you know paint the sun paint trees etc on the walls and so you paint something that charges up the genie the genie gives you the super paint which you use to get rid of the darkness and then the genies can also do things like uh you know uh, the fire genie can burn an object that's in your path or the electric genie can activate you know something that needs electricity that you know is blocking your path and so it as you get further in it sort of turns into this sort of puzzle art game uh that's i think it's really cool it's it's very again it's very like artsy the controls are really clumsy because you're supposed to be using the motion controls to paint but you kind of get over it that was not that was one of the things that actually was starting to turn me off as they kept on emphasizing either the motion controls or like something about using your 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 eye device like there was some kind of weird thing that they were trying to do and they were trying to use to sell it i think you can play it in vr and then you basically use like the move controller to paint yeah. Or you can just play. It's it's clumsy, but there doesn't so far at least it hasn't actually required any precision. Hmm. So it doesn't really matter that it's clumsy because you're just like, oh, like you pick the flowers from your sketchbook and then you just sort of hold down the button and wave your controller around and it paints flowers. 
Yeah. No. Or like if you do a bad job painting, your genie looks ridiculous because you have to paint the genies. But it doesn't affect the function of the genie or the gameplay at all. It's just like, oh, this genie looks really stupid because I painted really terribly. Now, when I was watching like gameplay previews and stuff like that, it's got a stealth element or maybe avoidance element should be would be a better way to put it. Really, really light stealth stealth element. Like you can't go where the bullies are sort of gathered and so you can then like go make noise on another part of the map and draw them over there to then go paint what you needed where they were gathered before and then it's sort of like there's you've got a certain amount of time before they'll start wandering back to where you you drew them away from and but it's not really stealth it's just kind of like yeah all right, yeah, I, I, it's funny because there's games that it makes me think of where it's it's funny because it seems like it's one of those games where the appealing elements are the more relaxing ones, and then the ones that are supposed to be more intense or give some sense of like danger are the ones that are like, man, no, get away! I want the relaxing gameplay, and it's one of those. It just really quickly makes me think of like Silent Hill Shattered Memories, like very different, mm. but it's like Silent Hill Shattered Memories, the really fun part of the game was exploring the world and the story but then they kept having the horror moment where you have to just run from things all the time and pardon me i'm sorry yeah. um where um yeah this like they'd have these intense moments where you're just suddenly running from monsters the whole time and it's like those are the most clunky part of the game and it's like man why is this in here when like everything else is the great part um, so Concrete Genie, well, I think that's one of the things that I was afraid of, because they showed you having to chase, like, like run away from the, uh, the bullies, and it's like, okay, this looks like it's going to be the annoying part of the game, because it gets in the way of the stuff that I want to do, but... Yeah, so far, it hasn't been, it hasn't been very, uh, like, oppressive or anything. Uh, maybe towards the end, it gets a little bit more, but, yeah, so far, it hasn't been too bad. So anyway, so I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Um, that's kind of like one of those games where if you have the time to just sit and play all day, you could probably finish it in like a, day. a long afternoon, like a day, yeah. Like finish it between lunch and dinner kind of thing. But the, um, yeah. Well, on that note, on the exact opposite spectrum of family-friendly <laughs> games, uh, one of the things that I've been playing recently, uh, and I would have beaten it already if it weren't for the stinking illness, um, and I have been streaming it, Resident Evil Village. Nice. And it's funny because I played Resident Evil 7 for the first time this year, and playing these two games together, it's very interesting just seeing where the Resident Evil franchise has gone. And it's funny because we talked a little bit, or at least I talked about, about it with my friend Zach a bit, because like this is his game of the year. He's already played through it three times. And it's interesting to see Capcom be one of the few companies to like previous generation go really hard. Well, what is previous generation now? Uh, during the 360 PS3 generation, try and go heavy into the AAA, try and appeal to the world global audience. 
have not entire failed. They still made profits in a lot of area, but decide, okay, let's scale back. Let's figure out what we do well and do that. And the past several years has just been, you know, starting with Resident Evil 7, you could argue. Like, Resident Evil 7, really good, you know? Um, and it's now, I think, the best-selling of their entire Resident Evil franchise. Um, Devil May Cry 5, really good, really well-received. Uh, Monster Hunter World, their best-selling game ever, period. Um, mm. And we're talking by a large margin. Like, Monster Hunter World is, I think, sitting comfortably around 17 million units sold. Um, That's a lot. Oh, yeah. Like, they, they release their um, sales numbers a lot. They'll release all the games that have crossed 1 million. And granted, sometimes it's like, you know, Devil May Cry 3, Devil May Cry 3 Special Edition or so, or more likely Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Like, those, yeah. they'll, they'll have even the individual editions listed out. But that's the thing. Like, Monster Hunter World and Iceborne are both separate. Monster Hunter World is nearly 20 million units sold, and it's easily, like, no other game has ever topped, like, crossed the 10 million threshold that they've ever done. Um, though Resident Evil 7 is getting close. And because of the way they bundled Resident Evil 8, they might even cross further, depending. Who knows? Um... But no, like Resident Evil, uh, Resident Evil Seven was like you know a lot better than I expected. I avoided it because I usually don't do well with first person horror. But now Resident Evil Eight is more. Let's take Resident Evil Four and kind of re, not redo that, not recreate it, but it's like let's use that as inspiration for another newer game. And it doesn't. I, I have no problem saying that this game is not as good as Resident Evil 4. I think a lot of people would probably agree that uh, with that. It does a lot of things right, though, and it's also its own experience enough. But somehow, like, playing this game kind of just... It gives me the urge to just go back and kind of replay the entire franchise. Like, I don't know what it is about playing 7 and 8, but it's like, man, I just want to go back and I just want to get all of Resident Evil because like I guess some of what made the remake great what makes the Resident Evil 2 remake great what made Resident Evil 4 great like what made all of these games great is kind of still combined into 7 and 8 in their own ways so it's like you know you you, you get them you get the taste and you just want more you want more and so Resident Evil Village has been just a blast uh, I'll probably be trying to beat it tomorrow. Well, by the time this goes up, I'll, it'll be Saturday. So uh, I'll be trying to beat it Friday night. We'll see what happens on Twitch um, if I'll beaten it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 a good time. It's definitely one of the better releases this year so far that I've played. Yeah, I haven't played a Resident Evil game since Resident Evil 5, which I had played all of them up until then. Oh, Resident um, Evil 5. You know yeah. what, though? It's... That I, I know it's like... It's, I, I, it's not like 5 turned me off from the series. It's just, uh, for some reason, I just haven't... Um, I think probably part of it is 6 came out when you, when you had your first kid? I think maybe. 6 didn't come out until your first kid was born. But also... Six is all right. 
Like I've, uh, it's easier for me to critique. Like it's playable enough. So and I think that might be what it is. Is the I got the impression that the series from from five and six that the series was going downhill. I guess um, after playing five and then hearing about six, so I maybe just didn't like Resident Evil news from then on. Didn't and what was the other one? There was like a. Wasn't there like a Resident Evil multiplayer a multiplayer shooter or something? Oh gosh, yeah, Operation Raccoon City. Oh, that yeah. was terrible. Yeah, so I think that's what happened to me was is I having been a fan of the early game, I felt like whatever transition they were making wasn't working. And so I just kind of lost interest in in terms of like I just okay, like I'm just it didn't when I heard Resident Evil news I just kind of tuned out. Like, okay, it's fine. Like the 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 PS One era was amazing, and you know they did a couple other good ones. Resident Evil Four, everyone loves, of course. But like that, just okay. Like the series is past its prime or something. But I guess that's not true because seven and eight are apparently well. Seven, uh, well, eight is definitely more action oriented. Seven's not perfect either. Seven, by the time you get to the last stretch, is very much. And granted, some of the original games are like this too. Once you get to like the laboratory and stuff, but like yeah. the, the the last stretch of seven is very much just this sort of actiony slog. But it is on Game Pass. The thing is, I can tell you right now, this is going to be one of those games that your wife would hate to watch. So oh, I'm sure. <laughs> It would be. Yeah. I do think it is worth worth going through, though. Like I really enjoyed. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed Seven. How much I actually want to go back already. Like I have it loaded on my Xbox now on Game Pass again because I'm like, you know what? Maybe I ought to go through that again already. Um, <laughs> but speaking of yeah. what is loaded up on Game Pass, do you want to? Riders. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to start? I think. I think... beat it. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, I think this is. My, I mean, if you're playing it too, it might be worth a, a longer discussion than we're going to give it right now. It probably um, will. It probably will. Yeah. So, so Outriders is, you know, I think it's overall a solid game. I think that People Can Fly built a lot of good mechanics. They built a really engaging. Um, sort of, I guess, like the, the loop inside of the, of the combat situations, um, the way you, you know, you use your powers and other things. Uh, and then as you get further in the gear system, learning to upgrade your gear to maximize the effectiveness of your powers and all that, like it's, it's all like really great bones of a game. Um, I know this is the kind of thing people said about Destiny too. I feel like, <laughs> um, I think it's it's funny. I, th I said this again. I did something I said in the ch chat or said to you. I forget when. I feel like it's one of these things where everything that annoys me about Destiny, Outriders does right, but not everything. But so many of the things that Destiny is just amazing at Outrisers just totally whiffs. Um, yeah. So, like, things like, for example, 
in Destiny, you're entirely reliant on getting the right rolls on the right armor. And I've never found that to be particularly fun. Outriders has a customization system where once you've dismantled something, I believe this is how it works. Don't trust me on this. Maybe look it up. But it seems like once you've dismantled something, you unlock all of its perks. And then you can apply those perks to anything. So if you get armor that otherwise sucks, but it has a um, a mod on it that allows you to uh, drain health from enemies you damage with your Tremor ability, I can then just put that on any piece of armor Yeah. now. No, and I... Uh... That's like... I, Sorry. That's amazing because it actually lets you build really interesting kits and be really flexible in how you build these kits out. Um, and, uh, and, like, that's super amazing. Then, but then you get to something like the sound design, which we talked about. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I did want to confirm. I just wanted to confirm that that is generally how the. Because I got to the point where, yeah, you unlock the guy who allows you to upgrade and change your gear. And it's, it's, it's not even so much like the disassembling and getting things. You can even take a piece of gear you like, be it for cosmetic purposes or for other purposes, and you can upgrade it from one level to the next as long as you have the materials. So you can take an uncommon and upgrade it to a rare. Or you can take a rare and upgrade it to like a legendary or whatever. Like you can upgrade them which also unlocks more slots for more modifications and so you have this you're, you're yeah it's like you have this greater control over what loot you pick up and if you like it then here you can customize it to 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 work to your play style kind of a deal um which i can see like we might talk about this more later but i could see that also being something that you know then the individual gear you pick up though like how, how are you going to have like the the exotic like um oh what's the one that's always broken in destiny like they always make an Telesto. update yes so, so you don't have anything like telesto though as far as i can tell again i'm early enough in the game that i'm not really getting gold drops anyway so i couldn't tell you um have some gold drops i'll have to see i think part of the whole the whole gear tier system also has to do with what tier mods you can equip onto it and how many like how many and in what slot and that sort of thing. So it might be more right, you have less Telesto and more like people just kind of build their own Telesto. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh yeah, so you won't have that that same where there's a broken mod there are broken mod combinations and things like that. And um, I could I could see how people that are about the loot chase, you know, that like there's something different about you know oh I got this exotic weapon that you can only get from this you know event or raid or whatever you know gaze upon me and bow or whatever yeah. versus hey look at this really cool goal, uh, gun I made that has all these features that I made like it, it's like two different audiences I feel like you're pleasing two yeah. different mentalities that way yeah I I, I, I yeah. I definitely see that. And that might be part of the appeal of Outriders right now, too, where I just never... So the one thing that I didn't really have the interest in for Destiny was the sort of perfect role loot chase, where it's not enough to get, like, the right gun. It's like, it's got to be the right gun with the right perks 
and all that other stuff where I never had the patience for like, yeah, I'm going to run this activity a hundred times because every third time I run it, I get the drop of the gun I want. But then the, you know, I've got to get the whatever it is, rampage kill clip or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing that uh, then to make it perfect. I never, I never got into that. So Outriders fixes that. But then, like I was saying, the things like the sound design just really that is one in particular that's one of the sort of the intangibles about destiny when you're when you're not analyzing it you're just like it just feels good because every single weapon in the game sounds unique yes actually i thought of another example because there's two different examples i thought of and this might have been something that led me to another observation that honestly Outriders doesn't remind me of Destiny when I play it. Um, but I'll no. get to that in a bit later. But like one of the things that I remember also realizing was there is a very light sound enemy snipers make that sounds almost like the, the laser sight is charging up, but there's no guarantee it fires. But you can hear it. You can hear when an enemy sniper is aiming at you but it doesn't, it's not like, it's something that I eventually figured out versus when you're up against, say, a fallen sniper, right? And it makes mm. it sort of like, like I, I, I can't, I can't imitate it, but it's like a, 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 a sort of charge, pew, you know, like it's a, it's like, a, a, yeah. like you hear the energy vortexing together to make the pew blast. And so it's, like, right. it's it a distinct sound you will hear. Right, so so the sounds offer yeah. There's there's sort of two sorts of sound in these games, right? There's the sounds which gives you a cue to commit perform some action, whether that's you know dodging or something else, hiding, and then there are the sounds that are just like the the sounds that go with the things that happen. So yeah. so for for example, my wife Dana. What she doesn't like about Outriders is not so much how the violence and the gruffness and everything else. It's that, and this could be partly related to how I was playing. I'm playing the Devastator class. Um, it's just like the sound of the game is just oppressive. Like there's so much low rumble and so much noise to it. And when you're using something like an LMG, it's just like this cacophony of rumble. And you know, this is so I could see so, that. And I have my so like I have my sound system. You you've been in my house, you've listened to music and and watched movies at my house. I take a lot of pride in how I have my sound system set up. Oh like yeah. When I play games like, like Overwatch, like I'm using my sound system to catch the positional footsteps and things like that. So like I'm I like this is something so so for me when it's like when that goes from feeling like oh this feels great like I'm I'm using the the, the sound cues to, to know when I need to dodge and take cover and when and like it just the weapons sound great it's just a great experience to just feeling like everything's like like constantly for an hour while I'm playing it's it's sort of yeah it, I can it's see that it's, it's funny because it's a completely different angle for me because I don't have a fancy sound system I'm getting it off from the TV 
but thinking on it, it's like, you know what? You're probably right because my character has like the turret abilities, right? Where I'm just chucking, uh, like every, every so often I'm chucking a turret and it's also providing enemy fire and then the enemies are shooting at the turret. So I could see if you got this really boss sound system at the same time, you are constantly having stuff like causing the floors to shake kind of a thing. Like there's always something going yeah. on. Um, but even then, like, and it, it is as I, I, I noted in the Discord, because that was another thing that I noticed. Like, there's that kind of a weird sort of, like, liquid in a jar or bottle kind of sound that you have in, like, a Bioshock yeah. game when you pick up, like, liquor or something. Like, or, or, uh, or when you're playing an Elder Scrolls game, you pick up a potion or something like that, or scuba. Um, that's basically the sound effect when, for my class at least... My cooldown's over. It's this weird, and I thought it was like some kind of ambient background noise. So I'm like, what is what? What in the environment is making this noise? And then I noticed one time my cooldown ended, and that sound played. And I'm like, wait, that's it? Oh. Versus this, yeah. like, I can only I can only describe it as sci-fi Nike commercial sneaker for when your super is char no 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 you like your grenades ready or something in Destiny. Like, that's just your grenade or your melee ability. Like, it's this weird... Like, I, again, I don't know how else to describe it. It makes me think of, like, putting on a shoe, but in this, like, weird sci-fi everything. That's but, right. So, I, I made it through the entire campaign without even realizing that there could be a sound for when your abilities are fully charged. Exactly. Uh, like, it, it, it's, it's weird how it's, like, an area like that... It's like, man, how did this get through QA? Like, who, who, like, because that's the kind of thing in a focus test where it's like, if they don't automatically, like, realize that sound or, or anything, like, you ask questions, it's like, how did you know your cooldown was over? And, like, in Destiny, it's like, well, you know, I hear this sound, I hear blah, blah. Like, there's probably going to be a lot of different indicators. And Outriders, it's like, I don't know, it just felt like about the right time. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely definitely the case that's funny yeah yeah and it just i think overall like i don't know I, I have so many mixed feelings about it i really so it's one of those games where like i really enjoyed playing through the campaign it was just kind of hit just right with a simple linear experience that had just the right amount of exploration just the right amount of balance between like, you know what, I want to do a side quest right now. I'm going to go explore the larger area and do side quests versus, you know, just other times. You know, what? I'm just heading straight down the path. I see that yeah. marker. I don't care. It was a it was a good balance, a good, um, a good experience. It, I feel like I can see for a lot of players because it, it, it's funny how granted I'm not even halfway through. I don't think. I'm, where are you? Where are you at right now? I'm uh, about to enter Trenchtown. I'm like in in the between. Okay, yeah. Like you're at the place where you have to do the lum like fight lumberjack people or whatever, and you're about to get into Trenchtown. Okay, yeah. So you're not you're not halfway yet. Yeah, I still got quite a bit um, to get, but it's I forgot. I completely lost track. You're saying that for some players, I was talking about the, the sort of mix of oh, linearity. variety, variety. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I feel like for me, like, I, I could, 
It's weird to say this, but I do think Destiny's got more variety in it than this does, and I don't know, again, if this is because of the nature of the enemies, enemy and AI design, because this is, got, is very much that Gears of War element, but then every once in a while you fight a monster that you're not taking cover, right? You're not taking cover, you're just wandering around I shooting at them. never but... take cover. Uh, your your character class does not allow for it too, and sometimes it, de it depends on the combat yeah. for me. But I started to like, my character class. I think benefits from taking cover, uh, but then again, I'm not supposed like I don't recover health being close to enemies. I recover health from being a distance from them. So my character class it fits, and that's the thing. Like that's yeah. what I like about Outriders is that I'm playing it as a sort of like this is better than Gears of War four. Like, this is a cover shooter mm -hmm. that is the best cover shooter since Gears of War that's not Gears of War 4. Now, granted, I haven't played Gears 5 yet, but it's a, Outriders is the first game to give me what I wanted since Gears of War in that regard. But at the same time, as you as we also discussed, like there are some missions where, like, I, I, I've been at, um, like, what is it? Like, the, the, the gear tier, loot tier level 6 for a while. And like I've I've almost been level seven, and then I die a couple of times, and that tier list goes down, or that tier level experience goes down when whenever you die. So it's like I've kind of been hovering towards seven, but not gotten there yet. Um, but anyways, yeah, uh, it's like that's the thing though. Like it feels like so many of the encounters, they're fun, and some of the environments are really good. But at the same time, it's like I, I, I've already got that feeling that there's too much game to justify this gameplay. But that's where I ha again, like you and me probably have very different experiences, but very much encouraged by the differences between character classes. Actually, I, I want to send you the video. I saved a video of one of my <laughs> um, one of my like encounters the other night. Um because it was, it, it demonstrated what I really like about Outriders and how unintuitive all of my actions were. Um, I think this also speaks to having the class diversity be pretty good. So yeah. basically what happened was there were two um, of the heavies, like the elites or whatever they're called, that were pretty close to the front of the line with the in the encounter so it was like you know one of these big arenas lots of chest high walls yeah um some high ground and other stuff so what i ended up doing is i is actually sprinting past them into the horde of enemies that were behind them and then mm. basically just moving all around from enemy group to enemy group in within behind the elites essentially as they were sort of following me around and alternating between picking picking down their their health a little bit and then killing enemies to get my health back up and then just going back and forth and i have like all my gear kitted out so that you know when i use this ability it increases my armor when i use this one it drains health from nearby enemies and etc etc and like so like i don't know it was just it felt like this really unintuitive way to go into an, an encounter 
that like, oh, like, yeah, let me just, let me get myself completely surrounded by enemies and then use that to actually empower myself to then defeat the elite enemies. Um, Which is funny because it is very different. Like, And th this actually goes into... So this goes into some of what we were talking about earlier where... Because that just got me thinking about my character my abilities and where recently, especially now that I can upgrade my armor and weapons, I, I'm able to not only customize my character, but customize what mods I have based on what abilities I'm using or favoring. Yeah. And so mine are very much focused on single player, but it's like I use my turret as a distraction. And then I have this sort of like toxic, like bullet thing I can lace my, my, my ammo with. And I have a modification that lets, lets it last for two clips. And then where it's not only poisoning them, but it's giving them vulnerability. And then it's giving them this. So like I'm able to put three or four status effects on enemies as I shoot them. And then I have like abilities so that when I pull out like a chain gun or a minigun, I've got twice the amount of ammo to run through. So when those elite enemies come out, I'm able to just stand up and it provides like this, like, 2,000 amount of armor so I could just take more damage because you can't take cover with this thing and you move slow. But then I'm standing there and I'm just tearing down any, uh, like elite enemy health. But then I'm thinking, okay, but if I was playing with you and if like, I was co-oping with you and uh, maybe Nolan, I'm going to replace that turret since I don't need it to distract and I'm going to instead put on the group healing ability and I'm going to change my mods so that I do more group healing then because that's part of my character class as well it seems is that sort of cleric yeah. role so it's like it, it's not just about modifying like changing the mods on the weapons and stuff for your play style it's am i playing single player what what helps my play style and then am i playing with others now let me swap my abilities out and therefore my weapon mods and customize further so yeah that is a cool element to outriders i think as well um, that we haven't gotten to experiment mu uh, with much. Um, yeah, I'd like to play some of the the sort of end game, post game content um, before yeah. I really pass final judgment on it. But I, I'm so far, even if just just for the campaign, just for like a really, it's like it's it's overall to me, and the story is so dumb. And doesn't acknowledge at any point that it's dumb, and maybe that makes it amazing. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, it's it's just a fun, you know. It's exactly what you said. It's the it's the best cover shooter since Gears of Gears War three. Not knowing of Gears of War, how if your Gears of War five is because we have we have to play that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a it's a great cover. It's an evolution of the game with the abilities. Um, that really, I have to say, it's a unique experience. Playing the Devastator class in particular was a unique experience where I was doing so many counterintuitive things uh, and it was really working well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm giving that a, if, if you have Game Pass and you like shooters, you have no reason to not download Outriders and play through the campaign. 
I do think it is specifically on console, though. I do not think PC Game Pass gets Outriders, so... Okay, yeah, um, Xbox... Yeah, Xbox One Game Pass. But, but the... Um, there is one last thing I wanted to mention. I don't, I don't know how far detailed, though, because... One of the things that I also felt when playing Outriders was... Again, like, there's a lot of elements that we've, we've made comparisons to Destiny and everything, and I feel like a lot of that goes in a lot of the superficial element, because, you know, looter-shooter kind of an idea. But when I actually play the game, I feel closer to how I feel playing Borderlands. Now, granted, again, it's a Gears, it's a Gears of War meets Borderlands rather than Gears of War meets Destiny. And I think part of that, though... And that might go into a different discussion because I think part of that also goes to, again, when we think about like Bungie and Destiny, I think it's Bungie games in general. The enemies don't have regular guns. They all have these alien sort of weapons that have very obvious sound effects, have very obvious visual cues, and are largely slow enough you can avoid and dodge them. And right, that the enemies... So I was yeah. just going to say, like, that alone changes how you play the game and engage in combat versus, like, this... Part of it's because of the enemies that just charge into you and swing. But it's just, like, the, the, the escalating scale of enemies and even some of the wildlife that... It makes me think more of, like, a more polished Borderlands, but again, like, if they take themselves more seriously. Yeah, I can see that. It is... The the enemies, the bungee enemies in general, not carrying hits can weapons, does really change. Um, yeah, and so with, with the feeling between that and something like Outriders, one of the things that that kind of bu always bugs me, and maybe because I'm so used to Destiny, is how accurate everyone's just. When you're out of the open, everyone is just oh, yeah. shredding you. There's yeah, that's no, that's another reason miss. why I, I can't imagine yeah. not playing my turret class guy. I wish I remembered the actual specific name of the class, but that turret pulls off so much heat. And that's where, like, early on especially, I remember saying, like, okay, I'm going to play the long range class. There ain't no point because you pop your head trying to line up, like, in the time you're trying to line up a headshot, you're already getting shot a bunch. Yeah. But it's, it's it's gotten better. Like, I've actually used the, the... I think I got the, like, five headshots in a row accomplishment or whatever. So, um... Oh, nice. But that's the thing. Like, yeah, these enemies, like, they... You get aggroed instantly, and they got a beat on you. Um, so that turret is very useful and helpful because they'll try and shoot and attack that instead. And it'll also help, you know, whittle their health down. But otherwise, yeah, it, it is aggressive AI and again like for a character like yours it's got to be a very different experience because you're intentionally running up to them trying to kill them and that's the thing like I think the closer I am the less health I gain so it's the exact opposite of your character <laughs> that's funny but I think that's the show I think that's a wrap we've both been enjoying Outriders and again like that it has been enjoyable for free on Game Pass for us um which I've been try I've been thinking about writing something for the blog about my reevaluation and consideration of Game Pass and just how I'm thinking about that sort of 
the difference between owning a game and then game passing it, something like that. Just those kinds of thoughts. Um, but that'll be on RamblePack64.com. It'll also depend on my work schedule and everything. Um, Twitch.tv slash RamblePack64 as well. And otherwise, like, uh, you got anything left, Mr. Steve? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, hopefully we'll see you in sooner than a month. Have a good night, everyone. All right. Have a good night.